0: You're listening to the Distinctive Christianity Podcast, where we clarify distinctions between Mormon and Credo-Christian thought. I'm Brendan. You're with? Sky Sky. And uh, you yeah, just over there shuffling through your books again? Yeah. Trying to figure out what you're doing with your life?
1: <laughs> I sure am. It's great. It's
0: great. <laughs> Got a question for you. Oh boy. Yeah. This is going to be the most important question of the day. <laughs> <laughs> What's the most unusual place you've ever been to?
1: Unusual place? Yeah.
0: Yeah. The most unusual place you've ever visited or been to.
1: Is it rude to say Moscow?
0: What, what was unusual? I bet, just because it felt unusual to you?
1: Yeah, Right. I don't think it's like an unusual place. Maybe I, I live in an unusual place. Yeah. That's kind of a relative point. Um, Oh, my God. Do you have one that comes immediately
0: to mind? Um, You know, the the one that came to mind first, uh, it it probably, if I give it some thought, wouldn't be the one I would pick. But this is the one that came to mind. So when I was in high school, as a senior in high school, um, I had a, a few friends, and we put together a... Christian band and played some different venues. I, I played the the drums and uh, we just kind of took whatever gig we could get. But all of our music was, I mean, it was explicitly Christian and, uh, you know, we, we would write some songs, but they were always more like more in the category of worship. Like we wanted to be cool, progressive ish in the sense of, you know, have have some instrumental, mm-hmm. you know stuff and yeah. I don't know we yeah. thought we were cool yeah cuz we were high schoolers in a band mhm well we got invited to play at this one gig and uh we had no idea what it was it was just some like hole in the wall venue that used to have just kind of different bands you know play play, play there and uh, we, we had no idea so we show up and this place is, you know, like downtown Amarillo, not the not the nicest of, of neighborhoods. And, and we rolled in and uh, we quickly find out this place is, you know, the kind of place that probably most of the bands that played there would have been more in the category of really hardcore uh, rock. And yeah. uh, the reason that was obvious is because there was a massive demon painted <laughs> on the back wall. Wow. And, and so we we go Subtle. in there, <laughs> yeah. And there's a few different bands that we're going to be playing that night. And uh, we we go in and I don't you know there's probably like only I don't know forty or fifty people there. It's not it's not packed by any means. And uh, probably half of those people were the other bands <laughs> that were there. <laughs> but they're just they're all these you know 40 something year old people. And, uh, they're, they're all just sitting there getting hammered drunk yeah. and, you know, there's demon on the wall and stuff. And here's <laughs> us, these little seniors in high school and, and we get up, we just start playing our Christian music. We're like, whatever, you know, we're just, <laughs> we're doing it. And so wow. <laughs> we, we played our, our, uh, little set and, uh, everybody there was all drunk and cheering us on the whole time. And it's was just like, this is the most unusual thing I've ever experienced. And, yeah, that was the first thing that came to mind. That was quite, quite a deal right wow. there. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I, I feel like
1: maybe this just brought it to mind. Um, in high school, I um, – well, actually, just barely in high school. We were 17, and some of us were 16. We took a Greyhound bus from here to L.A., Devo actually mm-hmm. to see a free aussie concert yeah <laughs> that was the craziest trip ever yeah because you know Great hound like you'll get there eventually oh yeah, yeah so it's like thirty plus hours <laughs> going down yep, yep. we're in vegas all night like it was you know and i mean because of my father you know i wasn't completely in the lds bubble but i think there were a few of us that had only been in the LDS bubble. Right. <laughs> to go you from didn't that understand to gray, what was happening. To Greyhound bus in LA. Yeah. Oh my goodness, that yeah. was insane. Yeah. Insane. Yeah. Maybe maybe this is the craziest place. So to you fa- know these
0: figure out what that smell was. was, uh, that, was oh my. on the bus?
1: What is, what is that? I've never smelled that before. Yeah, <laughs> And you just can't believe it. We got a flat tire, the bathroom started malfunctioning, of course, for some reason Greyhound thinks you know, it needs to be the temperature of Antarctica. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. We didn't take coats. It was in the summer. Oh yeah. I, I got sat next to this lady who was there with her infant and had put all her stuff. The only, the window seat was open. Um, and, and, her stuff was all at the foot of the seat. Oh yeah, <laughs> so I'm, <laughs> so i and of course now I know why she doesn't want the window seat because it's a refrigerator. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, stuff on this, she was trying to find something. She's like, "Hey, could you hold my baby?" I, yeah, I had. <laughs> it was the, <laughs> it was a wacky trip. Yeah, I mean, just met the most interesting people ever. sounds pretty unusual (laughs) yeah but there there is uh, an unusual place here locally you know those canals that go in and out of the canyon they're not always full of water yeah yeah yeah. you you know you kind of see like the water
0: overflow Mm -hmm.
1: at the mouth of the provo canyon you kind of see some of them yep so us you know rebels sometimes there's not water in there and so we would Walk in there, uh-huh. like hike in there, yep. and there's this spot where you can use a boogie board and like ride down, in it totally dangerous, yeah. completely trespassing, I'm sure. Yep. And we called it the Twilight Zone because, you know, with your headlamp and you're in a, you know, oh yeah. yeah, a tunnel. Uh huh. I mean, it's insane. Yeah. It is seriously insane. So that's that's probably the weirdest place. Yeah. You're literally hanging pretty there. unusual. Yeah.
0: That's <laughs> uh, yeah. You know, my wife used to do stuff like that up at the a place in the mountains where her parents trained to be missionaries. They had like a big, long tunnel that kind of had a little bit of water in it, but not much. And they would use it like a water slide, just shoot down the whole thing. It was yeah. pretty sketch.
1: It very, but it was super fun for us.
0: Cool. Cool. All right. Well, <laughs> let's get into Ephesians, shall we? Shall we? Yeah. So yep. we're going to knock out, uh, apparently the entire epistle of Ephesians in the next, uh, 55 minutes. Wow. We'll see how this goes. So uh, we're, again, just kind of like the last episode with Galatians. Uh, Probably the best way that we can cover these is just to shoot through all of the curriculum so you kind of know what's there in terms of the Sunday school material. And then we're going to fill in some things that aren't exactly in here that we think are really critical to consider when we're thinking about Ephesians and Unlike Galatians, where there wasn't anything covering chapter two, which is really the the crux of, of Galatians, they did cover the majority of Ephesians. So there'll be some important things that we can pull in on Ephesians that we think will be helpful for you listeners to, uh, to be thinking through as you're perhaps studying through or reading through Ephesians yourself. So let's go ahead and just shoot through this uh, material. We've got the... Uh, Subtitle for this is For the Perfecting of the Saints. And I should probably also note that this lesson is going to be covered from October 2nd to October 8th, which of course will be right on the heels of General Conference, which is uh, September 30th to October 1st. For evangelical Christian listeners, if you don't know this already, General Conference is a twice a year gathering where the LDS church gathers, you know, 20 plus thousand people in their general conference center and everything put, gets put on pause for LDS people. They gather in their homes if they can't be at general conference themselves and they watch general conference live. And general conference is when the uh, apostles, the prophets, the general authorities give talks. And these talks are where LDS people people generally think that they're hearing from God. So it's kind of a a live revelatory sort of an experience and uh, hard to hard to you know pin down exactly the significance that they think general conference is these days because For it sure. seems like a lot of that's been washed out speak- watered down right. and yeah. some things could be doctrine some things couldn't mm-hmm. be doctrine you can't yeah. know exactly when it's from god when it's not from god and really it becomes whether or not you personally want to receive that as something from god mm-hmm. ultimately mm-hmm. but uh, in any case it is still seen as a really important, valuable experience. And I think probably most LDS people do see it as God is still speaking today. And that fundamentally happens well in your own, room as you're having revelation yourself. But aside from that, the most important thing is when the prophets and apostles and general authorities get together and give their talks. So um, so throughout the lesson, there's references being made to general conference, because one of the things they'll be doing on this Sunday is reflecting on the things that they've heard for general conference, or, or I guess it'll be the Sunday following. Because do, do they have, uh, on the Sunday general conference, do they have... Uh, meeting still
1: yeah okay. well, well no no not not a church just the conference okay sorry the conference are the meetings okay yeah gotcha
0: okay so yeah so along with that you've got at the beginning the instruction of the teachers thoughts and impressions about what and how to teach will come as you prayerfully study ephesians recent general conference addresses this outline and come follow me for individuals and families so there you go you've got the reference there to general conference. And uh, they uh, start out just with the share thoughts of things that you've learned um, as normal, and then we get into the teach the doctrine. And on this particular Sunday school lesson, there's three major subsections. And uh, the first one is referencing Ephesians 2, 19 to 22, 4, 4 to 8, and 11 to 16. And here's what the subtitle is, Prophets and Apostles, and All of Us Strengthen and Unify the Church. Could you and your class build something together to illustrate how the church is built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets? Of course, that verse is coming from Ephesians 2.20, which is one of their personal favorite uh, verses. And uh, we may get to that and be able to cover some of the that here in just a little bit, but they say perhaps class members could label blocks of paper cups. They're, they're saying build these paper cup pyramids and demonstrate how the bottom of that is really important. What happens if you pull out the bottom of that pyramid, the foundation, so to speak? Of course, it's going to crumble and fall down. And so they go on and say, Why is the chief cornerstone a good metas- metaphor for Jesus Christ and his role in the church? And then uh, they say, class members could search these verses for blessings we receive because of apostles, prophets, and other church leaders. What can we do to build our lives on their teachings? And then, of course, you got a whole section saying, if members of your class listen to General Conference since the last time you met, invite them to share how the things taught during conference help fulfill the purposes related to Ephesians 4, 11 to 16. And they go on and say, perhaps you could give class members a moment to list some of the vocations or responsibilities we as members of Christ church uh, uh, have. And they could say, for example, ministering to brother, sister, a righteous parent, a disciple of Christ, so on and so forth. Um, and then they get to the end there and they say, how, do, how can we work together to become unified under one Lord, one faith, one baptism? That's a, by the way, um, the fullness of that passage is a beautiful Trinitarian formulation. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, hopefully we get some time to touch on that.
1: Right. Well, and also, isn't it weird that a church that's claimed that the authority and everything was um, restored is reduced now to saying, we work together to become unified under this? Yep. So it's like, we do the work now. It's all the horizontal. Yep, yep. Kind of weird.
0: And then if you are familiar with uh, Ephesians and you're familiar with the things that the LDS faith values, you won't be surprised of the things that they picked out in particular to cover in their one hour Sunday school lesson, which I I think kind of does reveal the things that they consider to be the most important. You know, we want this to be on our people's minds. Um, So even if they've covered other things within the week, the Sunday school may is helpful to show what they want to emphasize again um, Mm -hmm. over or in addition to, all the study that the people have done on their own. So, of course, they skip to Ephesians 5, 25 to 6, 4, which is the household instructions within Ephesians where Paul is writing about the family. And they say, uh, following the Savior's example can strengthen our family relationships. And they say, to help class members apply Paul's counsel about family relationships, you might write questions like the following on the board. How can we follow the Savior's example and the way we treat our family members? that mean for you to honor thy father and mother? How do we raise children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord? Class members could discuss these questions in group or in classes. They read associated scriptures. You might invite class members to share examples they have seen of people living in the ways that Paul describes. Uh, Fascinating on that particular section. They don't they don't even talk about the metaphor that Paul is using mm-hmm. of Christ and the church, and uh, that, that, of course, is the thing that we would tend to hone in on mm-hmm. um, as fundamental. If you want to understand marriage, you can't understand what it is, the meaning of it, without seeing what God intended it to picture, which is the relationship between Christ and the church. Um, then you get to Ephesians six, this is the last subsection, Ephesians six, 10 to 18, which is the armor of God passage. And they write the armor of God will protect us from evil. What would help inspire class members to strive to put on the whole armor of God? And I just have some different notes on the armor of God there under the additional resources. They give you some different information about what they would interpret the, uh, armor of God to be and what it does. And I don't really know the purpose of that stuff. Cause it's like, uh, like for example, they put helmet of salvation and then the note, they put a helmet protects the head.
1: <laughs> well, it's interesting. Anyway. Yeah. Well, there's a couple where it's like breastplate of righteousness, right? Yep. <laughs> breastplate yeah. protects the heart and other vital organs. Yeah. It's like, who's righteousness, right? Feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. It, it, yeah Yep. yeah what is the gospel i thought the shield of faith one was funny a shield can protect almost any part of the body from a variety of attacks. yeah and that's how they interpret the role of faith yeah is not deeper into an understanding um but avoiding any understanding yep because it's true because you feel it
0: yep okay well let's uh let's jump in here and i think probably the best way to do this uh skylar just be able to turn it over to you and okay. uh, have you make some comments, probably starting with just Ephesians chapter one on yeah. some of the things that you noted on the in the seminary manual and otherwise. And then we'll kind of compare and contrast some evangelical Christian or credo-Christian interpretation of Ephesians chapter one
1: alongside of that. For sure. I, I thought uh, both Ridges and the seminary manual do actually a better job than they have before of, I guess they did on 1 Corinthians 15, but not the whole letter of 1 Corinthians, of kind of showing their highlights in this letter. Um, so, you know, uh, Ridges says that this is written to spiritually mature members of the church that are living the gospel, living the gospel, and are capable of understanding and appreciating doctrines such as pre-mortality, foreordination, the dispensation of the fullness of times, which they interpret Ephesians 1.10 as Paul prophesying um, a restoration of the church. Um, which, of course, they see as fulfilled in Joseph Smith in 1830, although it's an ongoing thing, so who knows. Um, being sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise, the Holy Ghost, and they tie that to ordinances and temple ordinances, whether they're valid. The vital role of pro- apostles and prophets as an ongoing thing and other offices in the organization of the true church. So, for example, they interpret, um, is it 411, but evangelists as patriarchs and uh, pastors as stake presidents, bishops, and a couple others. Um, it, it's interesting because Paul makes a list, and of course they've got to make the early church in their image, right? So they they assign each term what they want it to mean. They don't really do much to defend it. They just assert it. And then, of course, family, marriage, family life, honoring both heavenly parents and earthly parents, and so forth. The letter to the Ephesians is one of the most helpful of Paul's writings, Ridges says, for us as we do missionary work among Christians. So Ridges is that confident in Ephesians that this is where LDS should be uh, leaning into to do missionary work among the Christians. And I do appreciate that he distinguishes them, the LDS, from Christians here. Because it contains so many doctrines, which are usually thought of as being distinctive doctrines of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Um, In terms of the seminary manual, the only thing they would add is that the one true church, of course, is the LDS Church, and that it's a unified church, which is interesting. So when it comes to Ephesians 1 they cannot have any sort of predeterministic system. Remember, agency is one of these cosmic rights that cannot be violated. And if God were to violate agency, um, which is the will of every intelligence, and of course the emphasis will become more clear if it's seen as an intelligence that gets a spirit body that grows up and develops and then gets a physical body and then grows up and develops, the idea is especially clear there that Um, people have not just free will. Mm -hmm. This is not, you know, uh, Molinism versus, you know, versus reformed satirical. This is not that. This is, A cosmic right that cannot be violated even by God. Yeah. This is not a yeah.
0: Yeah. But before you fill that in more, because I think this would be good. I think it'd be helpful for me to just read Ephesians some of Ephesians one here so that people know the context of why this is important to understand there. Yeah, yeah. So Ephesians one, this is from the English Standard Version. I'll start reading in verse three. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. I'll just stop there for now. But that's why you're getting into this predeterministic uh, way of thinking and how the
1: LDS faith deals with this. Right, right. And, um, of course, I think, um, and, and all the Christians need to hear this, that we will debate Calvinism or whatever, you know, that, okay, don't let LDSism hide in the debate. (laughs) Yes, we have a debate. Yeah. Um, And I think, I I clearly take uh, the Augustinian line, the Calvinistic line, unabashedly. I think it's exactly what scriptures teach. That being said, um, if a Christian who does not take that view... Um, is engaging with LDS still recognize that LDS agency is way coming from a way different place. It's not, God didn't create humans and gave them free will in the LDS system. It's not a gift. It's a right Right. that you have even against the gods. God cannot force anything upon you apart from your will. Mm -hmm. And so that is key to recognize. This is a plagianism, I think more consistent it's in its view of man, but, um, even Pelagius, uh, even John Wesley, is way closer <laughs> to what we're talking about on Ephesians one than LDSism is. Now, um, this is why they—they're gr- going to say the doctrine should be for ordination, and all of them do it. Though Ridges and, um, of course, our Paul commentator Richard Lloyd Anderson is understanding Paul, um, are going to be the most developed in their articulation of this. Um, And some of this will tie into the Romans uh, nine through 11 stuff that we didn't have time to cover. But if I can remind the listener, we did mention that Richard Lloyd Anderson shows that where um, Paul teaches in Romans nine, right? Even before they did anything, Jacob, I have loved Esau. I hated um, Richard Lloyd Anderson said, we have modern revelation to know that, yeah, earthworks can't determine that, but pre earthworks can. You see that? So, Uh, Just as Jesus was chosen in the premortal council, the idea of foreordination is that people are uh, assigned tasks before they come into this life that are contingent upon their obedience and their characteristics that they developed through their work um, and their worthiness before they came into this life. And and that's why they don't really sit, talk like this anymore, but even 30, 40 years ago, they used to talk about believing blood. The idea that those who respond to LDS missionaries have believing blood, and this ties into their pre-mortal uh, life as an explanation. So, um Ridges says, the doctrine of foreordination is that those who were valiant and faithful in the premortal life were chosen and foreordained to perform particular missions and service when they came to earth. And uh, interestingly enough, because it also ties to their definition of evangelists and, and Ephesians 4 as patriarchs, they say some of this can be revealed to us through patriarchal blessings. And that um, he then includes a Joseph Fielding Smith quote that I think is interesting to tie into this. And this ties into the racism podcast, which we already did. This was the explanation of the difference between the color of skin as well. Um, that under pre mortal conditions, it was natural for our father to discern and choose those who were most worthy and elevate the talents of each individual. He knew not only what each of us could do, but also what each of us would do when put to the test and when responsibility was given us. Then when the time came for our habitation on mortal earth, all things were prepared and the servants of the Lord chosen and ordained to their respective missions. So if you can see that um, and that predestination, because God is determining at any point that they cannot have that. So they're always going to soften it based on, you know, your choosing and, and that, if you look at their book of Abraham, which has nothing to do with Abraham nor Egypt, frankly, uh, the, it, the noble and great in premortality are ranked um, in the premortal world. Jesus, of course, getting a very high rank. He's very important to them. He's got a very high rank. He was elected and, and chosen to be the Savior. But even he, Brigham Young taught this, he could have chosen not to do what he did. Um, now, he would have been punished for it relative to the task he, he said, I'm going to do this, and if he wouldn't have, he would have been punished for it. But still, it's the will is paramount mm-hmm. in this system. The self is paramount in this system. And remember, the glory of God is the aid of man. It's not the purpose of man to glory God. yeah And um, so now Richard Lloyd Anderson, he'll take on a little more directly the Reformed view um, where he says predestination claims divine predetermination. Cool. And he says, of course, the word doesn't mean that. And he does the Leighton Flowers thing, or it's for no, or whatever, uh, neglecting what no means, even throughout the Bible, but that it's an intimate choosing. But Leighton, there's a religion for you. It's out here. Uh, no, uh, there, it, he says, if mortals are created beings, and he, I appreciate Richard Lloyd Anderson here, if mortals are created beings, Then God's planning was done without consulting them or considering their development of qualifications for earth life. He sees the point, right? So he says um, Ephesians, let's sorry, um, on what basis was such planning made? Um, Was leadership left to accident? Which, okay, that's not totally what we mean. God might foresee individual works and prophetically relate assignments to agency. But predestinarians quickly reject such a possibility. Thus, they teach a salvation superimposed on passive persons. But glorious light shines on these questions when the revealed knowledge that man existed in personal spiritual form when the plans for earth life were made. The father was dealing with known characteristics and capacities and planning for the next stage of the eternal venture of his children. And he says in here that, um, that the magnificent view of Christ's pre-mortal life, according to the LDS teaching, which is supposed to, this is his section on Ephesians, but mm-hmm. of course he can't deal with Ephesians, so he's got to go elsewhere. Um, he says, this is the powerful revelation to Joseph Smith, that it restated Christ's glory in the beginning before the world was, in D&C 93, and added, man was also in the beginning with God. In D&C 93. And so by sweeping reconstruction, right, you have this council, that organized mortality and in Christ and others, Christ and the noble and great ones. And all future mortals were there and were guaranteed freedom to succeed or to fail, a necessary precondition for progress that is the complete opposite of predestination. And I agree with him there.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I was uh, reading a business book uh, a couple months back by uh, Donald Miller. It's called Building a Story Brand. And uh, in that book, he, it's a marketing book and he he writes of, of how to market well. And, and uh, <laughs> honestly, I enjoy books like that. But yeah. one of the things that he was saying in that book is that successful marketing tells a story, of course, to your customer, but who or what role does the customer play within the story? Well, his big point was that in the past companies have gone wrong by telling stories for their customers in the marketing setting that made the company the hero of the story. And he said, uh, uh-uh, that, that doesn't fly. That ain't going to work. If you want to build a successful brand, you have to write your customer into the story as the hero. You got to make <laughs> them the hero of the story. Wow. And, uh, yeah, <laughs> anyways, yeah. Um, Donald Miller, by the way, wrote a pretty uh, sketchy Christian book that got really popular. Not, not too long ago, probably 15, 20 years ago called blue like jazz. And now, now he's a businessman writing these different books. And I I don't know enough about him to know whether or not he's a true believer, but I can tell you, he knows how to, how to, uh, interpret the, uh, the, fundamental disposition of man, <laughs> yeah. which is to want to be the hero of our own story mm-hmm. and to be able to take the credit as something that we've seen built into the LDS system over and over again. And you, yep. you you can't have predestination because you don't get any credit for that. You know, you, yeah. you, you want to be able to take credit for the decisions you made in the, in the uh, even in the pre-mortal existence. Yep. And, uh, and so you have to reinterpret uh, chapters like Ephesians one to be able to fit that because Ephesians one, let's just be honest, friends, you give it a straightforward reading. It, oh, yeah. it can't be more it, obvious oh, it's, um, in terms yeah. of what it says here. Oh, it's, and it's so, beautiful. Yeah. You've got to just do so much work to, uh, to work around it. And the irony is you say that, um, you know, Oh, who, who, what ridges ridges, of course is saying Ephesians this is one of the best things for us in doing stuff yep. for Christians, and of course, I would say Ephesians chapter one and two uh, take down an LDS worldview if you just give it a plain reading, um, I mean, yeah. just very clearly, Absolutely. and uh, obviously beyond Ephesians chapter one and two, but but some mm-hmm. of the most fundamental doctrines that uh, LDS people hold dear are, again, directly refuted in just these couple of chapters. Absolutely. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. What's Paul saying there? Right. Okay. Well, I I think Paul in a Jewish mindset, when he thinks blessings and curses, I I think that he, even if he's right into a pagan audience, still has his Jewish mind working. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think Paul has the sort of blessings that come as a result of covenant obedience uh, the, the sorts of things that you see in Deuteronomy chapter 28, I, th- I think that that's some of the stuff that he has in mind. Now, I don't think that he's probably limited to that. There probably is some of the relation of how uh, these Ephesian people were, were seeking spiritual blessings through pagan rituals, magical practices, things like that uh, could have still been hanging around. But in any case, what Paul is saying is you have everything you need spiritually in Christ. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, everything that your your soul longs for in terms of the the spiritual uh, life that that you long for is in Jesus. All mm-hmm. the blessings of God, all all of
1: life is in Him. Whereas they're going to 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 separate God and Jesus as two separate beings and persons, so they're not the one God that Paul preaches. Of course, there's no creator creation distinction. They arrived at their place by following self-existent law. And they would say, he doesn't provide us every spiritual, he, they provide us the opportunity to acquire every spiritual blessing. Yep. See the, see how they'll do that. And in heavenly places, they'll say, see the three kingdoms, you know, Christians are dumb, can't understand this, but we have, you know, revelation. And once again, in going to the title of the lesson, right. For the perfecting of the saints, ridges to show that I'm not just imposing this in terms of their view. They are imposing this. That is an imposed reading, to be clear. But um, on 4.13, right, he'll say, Paul teaches how long we need the specific church organization unto a perfect man, which he interprets as until we become perfect, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, until we measure up to the perfection which Christ has attained. Mm-hmm. Yep. Let me read that again. Until we measure up to the perfection which Christ has attained. That's why he's only an example to them. That's right. He's only an example to them. Whereas this, no, 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 no. The one God, the triune God has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. Yep. And and once you get to chapter two,
0: Paul turns to make it explicit of how you get in him. Uh, you know, how, how, do you receive these spiritual blessings, uh, yourself? And it is, it is by grace through faith. Mm-hmm. And um, and and so he'll he'll get to that, but of course he's giving a, a grander, bigger picture of how all this works out um, in this chapter by telling us it, it's it, it cannot be anything that you do. That, that's the whole point that he's trying to establish. It, it cannot be from your obedience. It mm-hmm. cannot be from your work. It cannot be from your efforts. It can't be from your seeking. It can't be from anything because it happens as a result of him choosing us. Yeah, in him when before the foundation of the world right who, who's the one who is unilaterally acting here um, it's not us yes. acting up toward God nope. and and choosing him it's he chose us Yep. and so you know what what was the quote in uh, Anderson that you just now read that where he says uh, uh, that uh, this is a uh, all a result not of passive us passively receiving the actions yep. of another, but of us being active. Well, no, 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 no. That's not what the text says. Right. Read the text. Mm-hmm. We are the passive
1: recipients exactly. of God's action. Uh, yeah. We receive what? Predestined, and that's the word, predestined for us adoption as sons according to the purpose of whose will? God's will. Not yep. our will. God's will. To the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. According to what? Our trying our hardest and us being saved by grace after all we can do? No, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us. See, they want covenants where we do our part and he does his. Yeah. Yeah. And frankly, the deeper Mormon conception, no, you got to go all the way. It is Pelagius doesn't go far enough for that, yep, right? Yep. You got to earn it. You get what you deserve. But okay, they want to say, you do your part. here's here's a contract. Here's a contract where you do your part. He does his part. okay? No, we're talking a covenant with maximal blessing. yep. He's a king who gives gifts, and we receive those gifts because he's that kind of king, and we want to be loyal. Subjects indeed slaves that's it's a huge worldview difference if you don't see that you're not going to see either Christianity or Mormonism
0: yeah, and i I can't remember exactly where I had uh, seen this, but uh, l- let me just read a little bit of a portion on this text from the the uh, come follow me individual and family manual they say God chose or for ordained me to fulfill certain responsibilities on earth. You already covered that. Uh, Paul spoke of the saints being predestined by God and chosen before the foundation of the world to be his people. However, as President Henry B. Eyring has noted, this does not mean that God must have determined in advance which of his children he would save and made the gospel available to them while those who never heard the gospel simply were not chosen. Now listen to what Eyring says. He says, God's plan is much more loving than, uh, and just than that. So mm-hmm. how is Irene going to de- determine what God's love is and what God just God's justice is? Well, it's on the basis of what he wants it to be, not yeah. on the basis of what the text actually says because right. look at how Paul puts this. In love, he predestined us. So mm-hmm. it is in his love, that this divine, eternal love, which comes from God, is what caused him uh, what or, uh, that's probably not even the best way to say it, but what ultimately overflows into him choosing predestining. Mm-hmm. So, Iron uh, of course, wants to say it would be unbelievably unloving for God to predestinate. Absolutely, and yet the text clearly says, no, in love
1: He predestined. Right. And, and what about Paul in Romans, right? For this is what the promise said about this time next year I will return and Sarah shall have a son. And not only so, but also when Rebecca had conceived children by one man, our father, our forefather Isaac, though they were not yet born and had not done, not, they had done nothing either good or bad. It doesn't say, well, pre mortal. No, no, no. They had done nothing, either good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works. Yeah. But because of him who calls, yep. she was told the older were served, the younger, as it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means, for he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose, I have raised you up that I might show my power in you, that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So then he has mercy on whomever, whomever he wills, and he hardens whomever he wills. You will say to me then, why does he still find fault for who can resist his will? Yep. But who, this is Paul, this is Paul's response to Irene, right here, the real apostle calling out a false apostle, for who are you, oh man, to answer back to God? Yeah. Will what is molded say to its molder, why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? What if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared he prepares for destruction in order to make known the riches of his glory with for vessels of mercy which he he has prepared beforehand for glory even us whom he has called not from the Jews only but also the Gentiles. Mm-hmm. Notice, I didn't stop and interpret that. Yeah. That's just what Paul taught. Yeah, that's right. And Irene has an issue not with us. He has an issue with the Apostle Paul. He has an issue with the scriptures.
0: Yeah, and uh, he, he of course, uses these categories of love and justice. And what he, of course, doesn't understand is that God's justice means that all mankind uh, deserves punishment. Mm Mm-hmm not, not forgiveness. Right. Um, what we deserve is wrath for our sins against a holy God. So right justice in that sense, uh, where it administered in the way that we ought to expect is that every single person who's ever been born into this world would suffer under his just eternal wrath because of our offensiveness against him. Um, that's what justice is. And mercy is us not getting what we deserve. And that's what we see happening in God's gracious choice of, of his people. And, uh, of course, Iron goes on and he says, God's plan is much more loving and just than that. And he says, our Heavenly Father is anxious to gather and bless all of his family. Now, again, here's a point where Ephesians chapter 1 um, mm-hmm. just just crushes an LDS worldview because the fact is we're not all part of God's family. No, um, we are <laughs> all enemies of God. We are all, uh, of course, as he gets on to say in Ephesians chapter two, dead in our sins and trespasses. Dead. But look, Ephesians one four to five in love, he predestines for what? For mm-hmm. adoption, yes, as sons through Jesus Christ. Yeah. So the predestining is God's eternal choice to choose some graciously, not on the basis of any of our merit or anything that's beautiful or lovely in us. It, it, it doesn't make, make sense to us in a, in a human sense why he chooses some and he doesn't choose others, but we know that he does. He chooses to make some his objects of mercy, and he chooses others to make his objects of wrath. That's what he's getting at in uh, Romans 9, where, where mm-hmm. you're just now reading. So um, so God makes this gracious choice to adopt us as sons in Jesus Christ. The imagery here of adoption is a glorious image that we've been able to talk about before. But again, the whole point of adoption is the child doesn't choose the parent, the parent chooses the child. The parent parent sets his affection on the child and says, you're going to be mine. You're not my child now, but you're going to be mine. And I'm going to love you and be committed to you, um, even though you I don't have this biological obligation to do that in a right. human sense.
1: Yeah, and in the ancient world, that was more clear. That yeah. would be uh, an understanding that we now have to relearn by studying the context. But like uh, Julius Caesar's biological son, no one cares about. Yep. But his adopted nephew as a son became Augustus, Yep. right? Yep. So they, they had this understanding, right, that yeah. when, you, when it's the choice of the one adopting... That means more than biology. Yeah,
0: yeah. And it, it, just in case this wasn't clear enough by Paul using phrases like he predestined us for adoption, of course, his choice, right? Right. He chose us. If, if this wasn't clear enough, the next phrase is, according to the purpose of our will, No, we chose him? No, 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 no. According to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the Beloved, In him, we have redemption through his blood the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Why is God doing all this work? Well, ultimately it is yes, because he loves us, but ultimately it's because he wants to bring glory to his son, whom he is gr- being gracious to us on account of what Jesus has accomplished in our his redemptive work. Uh, It is in him, in Jesus, that we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. We are made from enemies into children, not on the basis of our choice, our merit, on the basis of what Jesus has accomplished in his life, death and resurrection as the eternal son of God. Mm -hmm. He is the one and only son of God comes into the world, condescends as we've, about over and over again, Mm -hmm. does the righteous works required that ought to be expected of a uh, son of of God, uh, even in a human sense, in the incarnational Mm -hmm. sense. And so by faith in him, all of his merit gets attributed to us as if it is our own. And so it is in him that we have all of these rights and privileges as now being adopted sons uh, through the work of the eternal son. Um, So all of this is the plan of God and mm-hmm. creating the world. All of this is the purpose of existence. The purpose of all things that have been made is that things would be
1: full and complete in Christ to the praise of his glory. Right? Yeah. It, Romans eight two, Paul, right? The spirit intercedes for the saints, for the Holy ones, right? For, we would say the church, at least the invisible church, right? According to the will of God, Yep. according to the will of God, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose, yep, it's God's purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. And remember the apostle John too, right? We love God because he loved us first. That's right. And in Galatians, they also skipped over this. Ridges had no comment here, right? When it says, we know God, and then it says, or rather, we're known by God. Oh, you can't have that, right? It can't be God in the driver's seat at any point, because ultimately, the gods of Mormonism are the authentic selves as progressed relative to what they call truth, which is eternally existing laws higher than God. Yep, that's right. And just
0: one other note that I think is worth making. Um, There's a lot more that could be said just walking through chapter one, but we've talked about again and again how the LDS church does not mean the same gospel when they use the word gospel. And that just comes through so beautifully after you have all this language about the spiritual blessings that come in Christ not as a result of our own merit and works and obedience. They go on and say, Paul says in verse uh, 11, in him, in Christ, we have obtained an inheritance. So we don't obtain the inheritance on the basis of our merit. We obtain it in him, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Now listen Mm -hmm. to this. So that we who were the first to hope in Christ, listen to how beautiful this language is. What are you called to do, believer? Hope in Christ. Unbeliever, what are you called to do? You need to hope in Christ. Mm -hmm. So that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be the praise of his glory. Now listen, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth. What did you do? Oh, you heard, you heard it. it. Mm -hmm. It's not by doing, it's by hearing and Mm -hmm. receiving. You heard the word of truth. Now listen, yes, the gospel of your salvation was said. So what's the word of truth? It's the gospel of your salvation. Mm -hmm. Now listen to what the gospel is and believed in him. him. So, so what is the gospel? It's him. Yes. It's believing in Jesus yes. and in the works that he has done in our place. That's what the gospel is. He, you know this isn't yeah. anything that we merit or do. It is it is simply seeing him, mm-hmm. hearing him preached and proclaimed, hearing who he is preached and proclaimed, but also what he has done for us and believing in him. That's mm-hmm. the gospel.
1: He's the giver and the gift. That's the point. It's not like the gods are at work to give you these feet, these apps on your phone that you yep. can use when yep. you need them. No, the ultimate point is reconciliation yep. with God, whom yep. we've been estranged in Adam from. Yep. He is the gift. That's right. If you're going to Christ for anything but him, your heart's not in the right place. Yep, yep.
0: And listen to just how beautiful it continues to, to be um, when you hear the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believe in him who is the gospel, Jesus himself, when you believe, you are sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. That means that once you believe in Jesus, it's not like believe in Jesus and now do the works that are required in order to gain the inheritance. No, it's believe in Jesus and you're sealed with the promise holy spirit you you are guaranteed the inheritance because you're in Christ and in Christ you're you're going to continue to to walk in him in faith you've been made a son of god uh, something has fundamentally changed about you and now what is the point of all this the point of all of this the point of all of this is to praise jesus for his glorious work, for his glorious grace. So Paul goes on in the rest of chapter one to lay out this beautiful prayer for the the church. He just says, I just want you to have the eyes of your hearts enlightened. You may know what is the hope to what he's called you. What are the riches of his, of his glorious inheritance in the saints? What is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead? He's just saying, I just want you to remember church all these glorious realities of who Christ is and what God has accomplished in him and of the power that is available to you because Christ is in you and you are in him. Stop going and running after all these other spiritual experiences and these spirits and mm-hmm. these these demonic things. You've got Christ in you. There's nothing greater, nothing better, nothing more that you need to press into. Just remember what you have in Christ. He is sufficient. He is all you need. What is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his great might, that he work to Christ. Listen to this. When he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. Who's above all rule and authority and power and dominion no one but jesus and listen to this 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 is key and above every name that is named Mm -hmm. not only in this age but also in the one to come who's going to be the name above every name forever it's jesus Your, your name is never going to be equal to him friend it's not the the whole purpose of all things is that all of creation would worship him as the name that is above every name and he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church which is the which is his body the fullness of him who fills all in all if you are not seeing jesus as the enthroned king of all creation of all things that have ever been made and who is going to be in that position now and forevermore, whom you ought to bow your knee to and worship as lord uh, not see as equal not see as as your buddy not see as your example alone but to see him as god whom you worship forever the name above all names if that's not the jesus that you're worshipping and that's not the the purpose of your religion you're missing you're missing the boat you're missing the point of of all things and then of course you get into chapter 1 where paul begins to lay out how all of this is administered to us in a practical sense. And again, he's going to highlight the fact that it's not going to come to us by our works and no. the things that we do. Um, you, you're not going to earn this. He says, and you were dead, not injured. Yeah. Dead.
1: Yeah. How does a dead person respond?
0: Yeah. I mean, I've, I've been to a few funerals in my life. Yeah. And, uh, and you know, the, uh, pastor typically gives a benediction at the end and says, you were dismissed. And everybody gets up and mm-hmm. walks out of the room except for one person. Yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> the guy who's dead. Mm-hmm. Uh, Wait, what you, about you his you agency, his will, his obedience. obedience? That's right. right. You're dead in sin. That's right. <laughs> in trespasses and sins.
0: Spiritually dead. So think zombies. Yep. In which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sense of disobedience. So Paul is giving these different conditions that we are in as yeah. a result of being dead in our sins and trespasses. One is we're following the course of this world. What's the course of this world? Everything anti-Jesus, everything anti-God, everything that that wants to insist on human autonomy and insist mm-hmm. on me being the hero of the story. That's the course of the world. So, uh, you know, you you find that. Religions that, of course, are built on this, this false understanding, they're, they're going to be swept away with whatever is most popular in the current of the culture uh, because there is a course of the world that is innately, naturally anti-God. Uh, following the course of the world. Not only that, though, following the prince of the power of the air. Who's that? That's Satan. Uh, following the prince of the power of the air, who's the, the, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience.
1: Among whom we That's right. all once lived in the passions of our flesh. Yep. Carrying out the desires that's of the we body all used to be. That's
0: right. And the mind and we're by nature, children of wrath. What does that mean? Wow. Oh, you were you, you not a child of I-Ring. God already. <laughs> you were a child of
1: wrath. wrath. That's right. Does desiring care about this? But yep. once again, you got, you need the, they say you were the apostles and prophets of old and the apostles. No, that's not the same. Yep. If Irene was right, Paul should be saying, uh, it's okay, you're just trying your best, you're all children of love
0: anyway. Yep, yep. So notice that Paul is saying that all of us dead in our sins, we followed the course of the world, we were controlled by Satan, we were, we were Satan worshipers, uh, mm-hmm. in a sense, we were controlled by him. So yeah, we think that we've got this free agency. No, you don't. You were mm-hmm. controlled by Satan. But not only that, you were controlled by, and this is... The most important thing, because the way Satan works is by preying upon this reality: your inner sinful man, Mm -hmm. the passions of your flesh, your own desires. Every person, as a result of the fall of Adam, has a sinful disposition where we just want to live for us and uh, our own purposes. And and Satan preys upon that. He he lies, he deceives, and he he uh, uses the sinful condition of man to keep them entrapped in their sin. That's uh, that's how he does his work of of slavery. And so how are we going to get saved from this?
1: But God. That's but right. God. But God. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses. That's right. Okay, even wait, when. wait, 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 wait. So who's doing the action here? Right. Who's dead? Who's alive in yeah. this?
0: Yeah. <laughs> it's just, you, you it's just a resurrection. Can't, you can't get more clear than
1: this. Yes. Even when we were dead. Wait, when did he love us? When we were good enough and we earned the prize that, you know, we graduated from sixth grade. No, that's right. When we were dead, he loved us, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved by grace. You've been saved and raised I thought it was us
0: by my choice.
1: <laughs> uh, if you choose, I thought it, it was by my works. Here, here's ridges. Here's David ridges. Um, by grace, we could not be saved. However, always look for the but. If and but asterisk. However, we also know that we must do as much as we can in order to qualify for grace. Mm-hmm. See, uh, as stated in Second Nephi. Wow. Nope. nope that's not what he means. By, By grace,
0: grace yeah. you have been saved. Grace is yes. what. It's unmerited favor. Yeah. It's God showing favor, not on account of anything right. good in us. Right. It's, that's what makes it mm-hmm. grace. And You're he saved says,
1: by Christ as a gift
0: through faith. Yep have you have been saved yes by grace yes. now here, here's uh, the the beautiful uh, last week we considered the perfect tense once again mm-hmm. you've got the perfect tense here as well this is something that has objectively occurred in the past you have been saved your salvation occurred in Christ, through his life, through his death, through his resurrection, he is your very salvation. Yes. That's the grace by which you have been saved. It's yes. Christ's work in your place. You have been saved. Now, that have been saved being a perfect tense, of course, is referring to something that objectively happened in the past but has an ongoing effect even now. Mm-hmm. Um, so we we do know the the beauty of our salvation in Christ in the here and now, but our hope is not in our ongoing works that we are doing, it's in the grace that we have received on account of what Christ has already accomplished. And that has an effect on us, even in the here and now, because we begin to walk in him. He says, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places how are you going oh, to get to heaven how you in how, fact how
1: are you going to get to glory in fact how are you going to be exalted if you might want to yeah, say yeah do, do, yeah
0: if you want to we, get if you yes. get a little
1: crazy yes there. exaltation <laughs> of christ right that's we right you No, know, we have this first but you know not their system i don't mean that i'm not trying to synthesize here what i'm saying is here is christ being exalted not raised up just in in bodily form outside that empty tomb yep but ascended and seated and enthroned in the heavenly place. And it's amazing because those are heiress even. Yeah. So so Paul is
0: actually saying this has already happened in a spiritual sense. Yeah. You've already been seated with Christ. Mm-hmm. LDS person, did you know that you can already have the confidence of yeah. exaltation Right. now? Like it doesn't have to be this carrot on a stick thing that's held out in mm-hmm. front of you that you don't know if you're going to be good enough. If Christ is all you need and Christ already did everything in your place and you look and you just believe in him, you're gonna be exalted into heaven on the last day because you're you're in him. And that is sure and certain. As certain as it is as a spiritual reality now that we cannot see, it'll one day be something that you actually get to see and know with your own eyes as you're resurrected in a physical body and seated really with him. Yeah. In the heavenly places.
1: And of course, apart from God's grace, you're not gonna be able to do this. But what will have to give? Is the idolatry of the self and the will? Yep. See, I think a lot of evangelicals, where they are best and most practiced in engaging with LDSism, is on the point of works righteousness. But sometimes it's without a deeper sense of what the deeper Mormon conception is, the deeper Mormon worldview is, and all that. And I think it's it's attacking a symptom. Mm -hmm. Um, It's a very important symptom. Yeah. But it, it is attacking a symptom because at the end of the day the works righteousness stems from the idol yeah and the idolatry of the self and that's the thing lds they'll fill the burden of what is required of them and they'll find ways to alleviate that burden even like you know adam miller claiming uh, you know grace is actually important to us somehow uh, we'll engage with that sometime yeah um but no 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 they they love it yeah because they may want a diff- they may want to a differentiate different rules that matter or prioritize them in such a way as they can do it or find some way to alleviate the pressure of the system they're in. But at the end of the day, if they're choosing, if they have the ability to choose that system, yeah. they love it. Yeah. They love it. That's why we don't just try to attack the leaders in a sense, right? Really criticize them yeah. based on the Bible is what I mean by that. But you, you have to, in some level the members. Yeah. They're not They're They are willing to, Servants of this system. That's right. They love yeah. these general. Yeah. They love I ring. They yeah. love that quote, right? Yeah. And so it's 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 a both and, but ultimately the core of the system is, I choose and I will get what I deserve. That's right. And that's what my, what is challenged here because how are we seated with him in heavenly places, in Messiah Jesus. That's right. In Christ Jesus, right. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. That's right. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto for good works. Which God prepared beforehand, not we chose and voted for in some pre mortal council. No, no, no. Which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That's right. This is ridges, just to show once again how an LDS is going to kind of turn this and preserve the idol of the system. Verses eight and nine are often used out of context to teach that we do not need works in order to be saved. This is false. And Paul himself counsels his people to show by the lives they live that they truly believe in Christ, Uh, missing the point. In fact, in verse 10, he tells them that they should walk in good works. Uh, Well, yeah, but we just read it. He says this, the problem was that the Jews, and this is his term, not mine, the Jews, this is the problem, placed all the emphasis on strictly following the details of their religious laws Mm -hmm. and failed to become personally righteous. Can you hear that? Yeah. That's what Ridges thinks Paul is criticizing. The Pharisees, not for their rules, but they just didn't live them well enough. Yeah, and, and which you, is hilarious because Ephesians is primarily written to a Gentile audience. Right, it, but they, they use the context, they use quote-unquote context to get away from that point. We saw that with Romans, right, yeah, where yeah. he makes Romans 2 primarily about... Uh, Gentiles in Romans 1, primarily mm-hmm. about Jews, which flips what most commentators yeah, do, yeah. because then he can fit in his system. But he does, he will say works alone cannot save us, but the question is, is the consistent Roman worldview in which he even uh, says, right, what what's this fullness, what's the perfecting of the saints? When we measure up to the perfection which Christ has attained, end quote. Measure up to the perfection which Christ has attained. See, he says, well, okay, works alone. So that's how he, he can kind of play word games with this but remember all the way back on the jesus and temptation episode um he he emphasized as a positive that the main message of john the baptist to prepare us for christ prepare them for christ was you have to earn salvation yourselves yeah he says this is the message that on fruits worthy of repentance you have to earn salvation yourselves and yeah. um i just to show where they go. And I know there's so much more here, but just to make sure I fit this in just really oh, quick, yeah. yeah, this is Joseph Smith. So this is, um, well, you know, they'll debate oh, who wrote every single word. Is it Rigdon? Keep in mind Rigdon was a Campbellite, right? So um, very, a lot of early Mormonism was occult, extreme charisma, seekerism mingled with this kind of primitivism of what we see today in say the church of Christ yeah. or something like that. And I'm not trying to be unfair, it's just that's historically true. Mm-hmm. The Pratt's and everything that came out of this. So um, so when you have this mingling in these lectures, you'll see that it's not quite fully Mormon and definitely not Christian. But this used to be the doctrine of the Doctrine and Covenants, and then it was taken out, I think, in nineteen twenty or so, nineteen mm-hmm. twenties. And we don't have time to get into that. But this is from the fifth lecture. And you'll you'll hear similar wording. Because, of course, it's going to go on and, and um, you know to the end of chapter 2, but you're going to see how they use this wording. Um, okay, so the Son, because of the flesh, or sorry, um, all those who should believe on his name, and is called the Son because of the flesh, and descended in suffering below that which man can suffer. Or in other words, suffered greater sufferings and was ex- exposed to more powerful contradictions than any man can be. But notwithstanding all of this, He kept the law of God and remained without sin, showing thereby that it is in the power of man to keep the law and remain also without sin. There's the Pelagianism. Now, uh, I'll put the full quote in the show notes, but to jump ahead, they'll take this language of the glory of Christ and then, of course, us in him, but then they extend it. They don't make it in Jesus He then becomes, rather than the God, the the king, the shepherd who takes us on his back, right, and takes us up and just bestows blessings on those whom he loves. um, No, 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 no. He then becomes an example of how we do the same. So here it is. Um, All those who keep his commandments shall grow up from grace to grace and become heirs of the heavenly kingdom and join heirs with Jesus Christ, possessing the same mind. Being transferred into the same image or likeness, even the express image of him who fills all in all, being filled with the fullness of his glory and becoming and become one in him, even as the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are one. So that's that's pretty different, I'd say. Yep. And you can see that in a system in which it's a polytheistic system where gods become gods by obedience to law, works righteousness is very much a symptom. And it's in, in some ways, the least, <laughs> the least of our worries, it is a worry. I, don't hear me wrong. But what I'm saying is you got to take on the heart. I want to go for the heart of the system. And works righteousness is a symptom of the system. They don't have a God. They don't have a fall. They don't honor scripture. They don't have the right Jesus. They don't have the right gospel. And if, if you don't have any of that, works righteousness makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So...
0: Perhaps we just wrap this one up yeah. because we're out of time. And uh, of course, uh, let's, let's just say uh, before putting a bow on it, um, all of the, again, and we mentioned this in the Galatians one so clearly, all of the imperatives that the LDS faith wants to jump to at the end of these epistles are built on knowing and holding fast to these indicatives. We're talking about life in Christ here. Yeah, That's what the imperatives are built on. It's built on what Jesus has objectively accomplished in our place. And I'm just going to close uh, by once again reading from verse eight, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no man may boast. My friend, receive the gift. Receive the gift and worship God for it. Next week, we'll be in Philippians and Colossians. Two epistles. hey <laughs> We'll see you then.